Welcome to the Health Leader Forge. My name is Mark Bonica, and I'm an associate professor in the Department of Health Management and Policy at the University of New Hampshire. Today's guest is Dr. Neil Meehan, the Chief Physician Executive of Exeter Health Resources. Dr. Meehan is a board-certified emergency medicine physician and was the driving force behind the creation of the New Hampshire Physician Leadership Development Program, a joint effort between the New Hampshire Medical Society, the New Hampshire Hospital Association, and the University of New Hampshire. In this podcast, we discuss Dr. Meehan's own journey from living in a music studio above a peanut butter factory through medical school, residency, and his own development as a physician leader. We discuss in detail what the medical school and residency experiences are like because the New Hampshire Physician Leadership Development Program has a unique flavor based on Dr. Meehan's own experience of medical training as well as his observations about how physician training creates some specific challenges for physicians who want to transition from lead clinician to clinician leader. I have been a part of the physician leadership program since its inception, so it was fun to talk with Neil and capture some of the stories and insight that I have heard him share over the last few years. I hope you enjoy this interview, and if you do, won't you leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find us. Thanks for listening, and here is Dr. Neil Meehan. Welcome to the podcast, Neil. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, So this is a lot of fun. We've been working together for a long time on a physician leadership training program that you, you founded. And uh, I'm excited to talk about your thoughts on leadership today. And you're a physician and you have some thoughts on the advantages and challenges of transitioning, uh, of a physician transitioning to leadership roles. And, and you have talked, when well, I've seen you talking to, to physicians who are endeavoring to, to take on these new roles, talking about kind of some of the, some of the learning that they have done cultural and cultural assumptions and kind of the hierarchical nature of medical training and how that creates challenges for trying to transition into or from from a leadership role as a clinician to an organizational leadership role can you talk a little bit about kind of some of that of your experience in medical training and and how it shapes physicians thinking about leadership that you have looked at over the years to, to think about what do we have to unlearn or, or learn differently to make that transition to leadership? That has been, I think, the focus of a lot of my career in, in developing physicians as leaders. And, and um, you know, just to sort of start from the, from the very beginning, we go through an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. And that apprenticeship requires us to focus nearly all of our energy on the patient in front of us and to be absolutely the, the buck stops with you. I mean, that's what you're told. The buck stops with you. So don't trust anybody else's evaluation. Uh, I remember being on, um, on a vascular service, right? You know, they, uh, a service that takes care of the, uh, the arteries and, and veins of, of folks. And, and, um, 
it's a tough service to be on because a lot of those folks have very chronic diseases and the operations and procedures you do on them are high risk. And I remember rounding on a few and I, you know, and, and one of my jobs as the resident was to go and get all the vital signs. You're like the gopher. So you go and get all the vital signs and, um, I probably had 30 people and, and the, the vascular surgeon comes over and he says, okay, uh, give me the vitals. And, um, very curtly and, and I kind of go, he goes, and I, I start spouting them off. And uh, he said, did you take those yourself? And I said, no, I got them off the nurse's note. And he stomps his feet and goes, so you, you just trust those. You didn't take them yourself. How do you know those are right? And I, it, was, it, it was irrational. Even though I'm saying it right now, it was an irrational ask of me because there's 30 people. I've been up all night, you know, pounding out fires. And what he's saying is don't trust anybody else. You need to go and take these yourself and you're accountable for them. And I think it was an irrational comment, but that's what the subtext was. So, uh, you know, we're taught that the buck stops with you, that don't trust anybody else, but your own clinical acumen. Don't get railroaded into thinking something's different when it isn't. We're taught that it's all about the patient in front of you and you, you are the captain who needs to advocate for that one patient, no matter what the cost, because that's your responsibility. So it's a very singular focus of, of, of your sort of career on, on a single patient. And I guess the other piece of it is um, that when you graduate from medical school, some of us are really well prepared, but some aren't, to, be, to have the top license in the room. And when you are managing a team of people, sometimes that license is, you, know, you need to say, you know, we need to do X or um, you need to exert your directiveness because you know what's maybe best for the patient. But that is at the, that is at the expense of not allowing the team to fully inform you of what else might be going on? And so some physicians, I believe, use what I call the authority gradient to get things done. And, and that is, is absolutely necessary in some moments. And in many, and I would say most moments, that is something that is uh, erosive of good team culture. And so we don't balance that very well when we get out, because that's not what we're simply not what we're taught. I would also say that even now, I, I think there's a lot of talk about educating physicians in team dynamics, leadership, emotional intelligence, team emotional intelligence. And although I hear and I read a lot about it, every time I get in front of residents, I'll ask sometimes, you know, well, not every time, but most times I'll ask, how many of you have had education in in, uh, team dynamics or being part of a, a team? And inevitably, I get one or no one who, who raises their hands in, in, in large groups. And so it, it, it lets me know that there's still a lot of this sort of traditional focus on being an apprentice. And so I think the difficulty then becomes when physicians are pulled out of the audience to be leaders. And in some ways, we, we're leaders of our clinical team. And, and that's, that's almost always the case. So when you're in the OR, 
you decide what procedure is going to be done. You decide what treatment will be necessary. You decide the post-op care and you, you know, decide when to discharge the patient. So you're leading that team. There's no doubt about it. But what the organization often needs is someone who can lead with, with a, a more broad picture of what the needs are of a department, what the needs are of a, uh, a division, or maybe even what the needs are of the entire organization. And when we get out of our sphere of that clinical lead, we, I think, come to that position with not the right tools. So instead of someone who uh, works through emotional intelligence and collaboration, you may get, you may be very used to using your authority gradient. So you run into issues with there or Rather than saying, well, I want to, we want to be focused on the safety of all of our patients. And how do you take a, you know, kind of a utilitarian view of that instead of saying, no, 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 we need to, we need to get this for this one patient right now. And, and, and it's hard for physicians to reconcile that. I think, and, and, and frankly, just some of the toxic lessons we've learned and we've come up through also um, come out in, you know, lack of collaboration, self-interest. And that is not uh, to say that the personality of somebody is encompassing that. It's, it's, it's how they were taught during their apprenticeship. And so applying those tools to a organization and to team building and to building psychological safety and emotional intelligence and all of that that's necessary to run an organization because you have to influence and change people that needs to be learned. I'm not necessarily saying the skills of a physician need to be unlearned, but when they get thrust into a context of getting beyond their sphere of, of just the clinical team and into, you know, really broad teams, teams that are meant to influence procedures in the hospital or teams that are talking about patient safety or the patient experience and, when you get into those spheres of influencing other folks to change, then you can't bring those skill sets to that context. You will fail as a leader. And I will say that a lot of physicians get a really bad rap on, on leaders, uh, on leading in those situations because they haven't been taught the skills to lead in those situations and they fall back on their, uh, what they know. And we've become known as hotheads. We've become known as obstinate self-interested could go on about the different cliches. Right. But again, I think systematically that's how it's, it's worked out. I want to run more with that. Cause I want to talk about your, your professional experiences post-residency, but I want to ask one more physician specific question. And that is, when did you know you were a physician? So I mean, it's like a, that's a oh. huge identity kind of, it's a very important role in society. When did you feel comfortable looking in the mirror and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm Dr. Meehan. <laughs> that is, that is such a, uh, a uh, <laughs> interesting question. I, I mean, you know, not, not a lot of people will ask that. Um, look, I, I, I was very uncomfortable when I, when I was a doctor, when I left, when I graduated medical school, because right. technically I, you're a doctor, you're was, at, you, they hand you the was, degree. Doctor, Congratulations. Right. Doctor, Dr. Meehan. I, I was so uncomfortable. I said to people, no, no, don't call me doctor. Call me Neil. <laughs> and, and I, uh, I, you know, look at that. It's not serving the patient because it's almost saying, yeah, look at, 
I know you think I'm a doctor, but I'm really not. So I'm going to reduce the confidence in you uh, that you have in me and, and create anxiety. You know, like it, it could have the opposite effect. But I, I, I was so uncomfortable with that that um, I didn't understand, uh, you know, the gravity of maybe my own license. Yet I think that I, I would say it took me a good year to really have it sink in that everybody in my society, at least, uh, looks at me as a doctor now. I mean, my identity, because I've been through this mental boot camp for four or five years, and because I've been so passionate about it, my identity is a, a doctor. I mean, you can call me a I don't know, bad baseball player, or you can say I have poor taste in music. I'll, I'll debate you. Do not ever call me a bad doctor. That really, <laughs> really pokes my identity, my, my yeah. id. And so um, I think many of us feel that uh, our identity is, I, I would, you know, look at, I, it's hard for me to even go in social circumstances without being called doctor. My, my nickname on my softball team is Doc Hollywood. Don't ask me why. I'm, I'm just saying. I get the doc part. Is, I'm going to have to hear about the Hollywood part at yeah. some point. <laughs> I, I think they were trying to, there was some kind uh -huh. of comparison to some doctors uh -huh. on, on TV uh, and blah, okay. blah, blah. Okay. That's a whole other podcast, Mark. All right. um, so, uh, you know, I have trouble walking in the parties. I, um, you know, in all kinds of uh, other social situations, even my neighbors, Hey, doctor, how you doing? Or oftentimes I'll even get introduced as a doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, even in music now in my band, like I, I have to keep telling the, 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 the leader of the band, please stop introducing me as a doctor. I don't want to be known <laughs> as that. And yet I think that's the expectation that society has on us. And, and I'm okay with it now. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm kind of joking about the music thing, but I, um, I, I've learned not only to live it, but to embrace it. And that's, that's been a journey. So you said about a year, was there a, I mean, was there a patient encounter you had or was it just kind of the accumulation of people looking at you and saying, doctor? Yeah, that's a, that's another great question. I, I don't think I have a good answer for that, Mark. I, okay. I, I, all I could say is my recollection is I remember the anxieties of it when people were calling me doctor. And I remember me saying, oh, no, 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 don't call me doctor. I feel more comfortable with it. Um, I would say that it was like osmosis and, and yeah. eventually it became my own internal culture. And then I would say sometime probably by two or three years, I was solidly embracing my identity. So I don't know if there was a seminal moment. Mm. Okay. So you graduated from UMass and began practicing at Lawrence General Hospital in Lawrence, Massachusetts as an emergency medicine physician and you were there for a number of years and pretty from, you know, from my understanding, pretty rapidly moved into leadership roles, ultimately serving as the chief medical officer for the hospital. Tell me a little bit about kind of your evolution and when you made that transition from being a clinician to wanting to take on leadership roles and kind of how did it, how did you wind up being the chief medical officer? Well, another um, long story that I'll, I'll try and uh, make short, but basically I did not go into medicine thinking I'll be in leadership or I'll be in administration or even if I wanted to be a director. And, and I had influences. You know, my father, he was chief of police by the time he had 
you know, by the time he had uh, retired. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I did sort of understand a little bit about the challenges of leadership, but we certainly didn't go into medicine for it. And I did, I did have a penchant for change. And I did, I was always one who was never satisfied with the status quo. And so what it led to me is going into the, the chief of emergency medicine at the time and complaining a lot about the way we did things because I could see the inefficiencies. We knew they were inefficient yet, you know, it's like the paint peeling off the wall. Eventually you stop looking at it. And so I would be the one who looked at it and say, we need to fix this. And I, I, you know, I wasn't, I don't think I was just going in and to complain for the sake of complaining. I had some real uh, improvements that I thought I, I, I could affect. And so if you complain enough, people will put you in a lead role uh, if you're a physician because <laughs> yeah. they're just like, okay, this guy's interested. Maybe we can get some horsepower out of him, put him in that role. And so um, basically I became the assistant director and I had given, been given some rote, like can't get in too much trouble jobs, like through the schedule and, and a few other things. And then um, I did have a few projects I wanted, uh, I wanted to take on and some of them went extraordinarily bad um, because I, although, although I wanted to fix things, I had no idea how to fix things within an organization. I didn't understand process improvement. I didn't understand change management. I didn't understand emotional intelligence of teams. And therefore I, um, I probably tried to do it my way or the highway type of uh, approach. Mm -hmm. And, that got me into some hot water. And then I said, there's got to be a, way, a better way to do it. So there was a seminal moment where I learned, okay, I am ill-equipped to be in a leadership role. And how do I get equipped? So you, you actually went and got a, a master's degree at Harvard in, I want to say it was, was it public health or with a focus on management? Yeah, so I went to the uh, Harvard School of Public Health for the Physician Executive, you know, Development Program, uh, which mm -hmm. I was blessed to. Another, you know, I feel so lucky to have gotten in there, and I was with some really, really influential uh, emergency physicians and physicians from around the world, um, because Harvard, um, it's such a, a sought-after program, and uh, I was lucky to get in, and and that was a transformational event for me. I really felt like um, not only was I educated, but I was applying it as I went. And that's part of the way Harvard works. You know, you, you begin to work on projects in your home base right away and, and with, with, uh, so you were still at the hospital. Of, yeah. You were still at Lawrence at hospital, working yeah. full time and doing this on the, uh, at night. And going to school, yeah, and right, getting right. a master's okay. degree too. I, I know it, 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 <laughs> I, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah, there you go. And, and you know, before that, I, I did have some. I did, I did, I um, did what's called the AMIA 10 by 10, which was the first thing that ever introduced me to organizational behavior. And that's a program that was started by the federal government. I was lucky enough to get a grant. It was only a one-year program certificate, and I got it in biomedical informatics because I was really interested in. Uh, EMR technology and, and whatnot. And so I had a little bit of leadership, but that was really where I learned about how to be a leader. So what was it like? So you started learning these leadership skills. What was it like rising through the ranks in, in the same organization? I mean, you moved for folks who are not familiar with this, you, you know, you moved from kind of departmental assistant, you know, like assistant manager all the way up to the C-suite as the chief medical officer 
Um, what was it like making those transitions uh, through the organization? Was there, was it challenging because people knew you as, as just a rank and file physician as you moved up or sure. was there an advantage to that or kind of both? Both. So, uh, well, I think physicians have an added element of challenge or, or, or advantage that they need to display in order for them also to lead other physicians, which is, I do think you have to be respected for your clinical work. It's really hard. I mean, look at, as physicians, we aspire to be great physicians um, and we um, revere physicians who show tremendous clinical skills. And so if you are um, respected in your clinical skills, you are one step ahead when it comes to leading clinicians. And, and, and the, my route I took is uh, I was uh, a chief medical officer, a chief medical information officer first, and then chief medical officer. And I was leading physicians, basically. And so I think I had built up a good reputation of being a skillful clinician. And so that was a good step forward for me. I also, have, I, I think I, I've had a, a good reputation for being a pretty emotionally intelligent person. So, you know, sort of understanding the conditions of physicians and what they're going through, being a physician myself, and also being able to communicate and sort of, I think, have a general control over my, my own emotions during conflict and whatnot, I think I had some elements that were giving me an advantage in the beginning. I would say that definitely those, those skills were challenged when it came to really trying to hold my colleagues accountable. I think um, there was a very big challenge with the chief of one of, one of the departments uh, that I uh, was immersed in almost immediately. I had excellent mentors at the time, which, which really helped me get my uh, legs under me when I was really starting out pretty green in that CMO position. And I think that the challenges that were before me were exactly like you described. Look, at I went from a colleague to uh, really a boss and, and trying to hold everybody accountable who wasn't even in my department. I mean, that was really the biggest challenge is I can understand the emergency physician mindset. I understand their challenges and I've lived their experience. But when you go to hold um, pediatricians or um, surgeons or other folks accountable for providing high quality medicine, which everybody wants to do, but there's, there's times when you need to correct a course, that was really difficult in getting my confidence it took a few years to get into a mindset where I felt I, I had my own professional confidence to do that. And so that uh, came with experience. So while you were at Lawrence, you had kind of the seeds of the what has evolved into the New Hampshire Physician Leadership Development Program that's co-sponsored sponsored here at UNH. What was it that made you start doing this course? So what I realized, and this is the plight of many hospitals, that in the hospital I was at, prior to the one I'm at now, Exeter, mm -hmm. um, there was mainly a volunteer medical staff, meaning that um, most of the physicians who came and worked in the hospital 
were not employed by the hospital. They were there because it was their local hospital and they chose to do their uh, work there. But they had they were small businessmen and, and, and women who worked out in the community and who had choice of coming to your hospital or other hospitals. And and that's the way many hospitals work. And so so those small business women and men, they are not beholden to the hospital, you know, outside of the basics of safety and, and medical records and abiding by, you know, uh, OR times and all of that. Um, but they um, leading leading a group like that it, is difficult. And also the previous administration had put no energy that I could see into building a physician leadership layer that I could delegate anything to. So what I ended up being was really a one-man band trying to lead a multi-million dollar organization without any way to delegate or 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 really uh, stretch out the uh, uh, you know span of control, meaning that I had no bench of physician leaders to reach into that I could rely on. And that was mainly because the organization had not put any effort into developing them. And frankly, I'm not sure if the previous administration even believed in physicians as as genuine leaders, at least in, from the administrative side. Yeah. So I said, let me, I, I'm going to need to develop that bench because I can't live like this. <laughs> I can't <laughs> be the only person doing the work. I'm going to get a divorce. So I, um, I ended up really, really through a lot of work at Harvard designing, well, let me go backwards a little bit. Well, let me start from the beginning. I did look at uh, third parties who really offer leadership courses. They'll uh, do online courses. They'll, they will uh, uh, deliver the courses in person sometimes. But I found them to be pretty superficial, and um, I found them to be really expensive. And then you can send physicians to, like, leadership boot camp. But when they got back, they were really no better off because they, they had – basically piled up all the emails. They had rescheduled their offices. And so when they got back, they were just inundated again with all the clinical uh, work and the leadership training had sort of dissolved. And so I didn't see a sustainable way to develop leaders in a way that was economically sustainable unless I just built it myself. And I felt like I had talent in the organization. And if I sort of brought a physician experience to it, then I could design something that would help me develop leaders and make it sustainable and that they would uh, give back to the organization. And that I, I just felt like there was a hunger out there for that because at the same time, I know leaders were frustrated by the lack of engagement shown by administration. And so you had both sides frustrated with each other. And, and really the common link was the, was to really provide leadership training and development for the physicians so that both entities would be, would feel uh, comfortable engaging each other. So I first designed a, um, a, a two-year course that really, I, I, I kind of focused on the, I would call them the sort of soft skills and hard skills. And I sort of focused on things like leadership, governance, quality regulations, rules of medical executive committee, and what I realized is that what I really need is engaged team leaders and change agents. 
So over the course of a few iterations, the course rapidly changed to, I would say, a true leadership course where we look at uh, ways to um, assess your personality and do self-reflection and then build upon that and, and turn that into um, a courses on emotional intelligence and how do you use emotional intelligence to influence people and to be more successful? And then how do you build teams with your emotional intelligence so that the team has a psychological safety and then they can do great work together and they understand you know, how to interface with other teams. And then from there, build, you know, because teams change things, how do you manage change in an organization and how do you manage the emotions of change? And then from there, um, because change leads to conflict, how do you deal with conflict? Because frankly, physicians are, I find us to be a group uh, who's fairly conflict avoidant. And so I guess what I'm saying is I really began to focus on the interpersonal and interrelational skills of uh, physicians to train them to be better leaders. And then the second half of the course is really more about the hard skills, you know, quality improvement. That's a skill every leader should really know deeply. And a big gap was finance, Mark, and that's how we met, where physicians are oftentimes, you know, to be the ultimate leader, you want to be the owner and operator of your, um, of your department or your division or your team. And that means you have to understand budgets and, and, and budget variances and how do you create a budget? And then in order to understand if you want to go and ask for like, well, I, I'm leading a change, but I need a capital. I, I would like to get into robotic surgery. I would like to get the certain laser. How do you build a business plan around it? Like physicians, you know, we, we don't get that type of training uh, unless of course we had an alter, uh, an alternate life before our, our training started. And so we also covered that base as well. And, and I think over the years, it's, it's um, you know, getting talented individuals to train folks to understand how to make it sustainable within their organization, how to build projects that are meaningful to both them and the organization. And then finally, um, we, well, we were um, uh, one of the uh, participants in the Mass Compass Awards. We were nominated for uh, leadership and cultural change in Massachusetts. So at that point, I realized I was sort of on to something. And the other real outcome was that I saw the quality scores and the finances of the hospital begin to change for the better. And I, there were physicians leading efforts around the organization that cumulatively led to, I think, really great outcomes for the hospital. And it's hard to attribute all of that to uh, just physician training, but in the areas of quality and patient safety. And I really think we made a big, big difference. And so uh, when I came to New Hampshire, Exeter Hospital, you know, look at, we have great physicians, but there was not a lot of leadership development. I brought the program there. Uh, we had really successful cohorts. And by then the program, I think, was really honed pretty well. And then at that point, I I sort of said, well, I, I, I talked to folks at UNH and at Mass Medical Society, and I brought together the Medical Society, UNH. And New Hampshire Medical Society, right? The Hospital Association. The, no, the, the, sorry, yeah, the New Hampshire Medical Society, the uh, New Hampshire Hospital Association and UNH. We got together and said, what if we created a sustainable program for f provider and physician leadership uh, in the state? And uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, have some pretty open minds. 
and there was some bumps along the way. And now we're into our third cohort and I think it's going great. Um, we've filled every cohort. So I, um, I, I really look towards the future of that as being, uh, I think, a platform for the whole state to really create leadership capacity in, in the healthcare industry in New Hampshire. Well, I've been excited to be a part of the program, and it's it's really great to get to know a lot of the physicians who are making trying, you know, learning these skills, and they're they're really energetic, and it's a lot of fun to work with, you know, very smart, uh, motivated individuals. So, so you mentioned you came to your current role as the chief physician executive for Exeter Health Resources back in 2016. Can you talk briefly about what is Exeter Health Resources, and what does a chief physician executive do? Yeah, so EHR is uh, an umbrella corporation that houses three affiliates. First, the hospital, which is a 100-bed hospital in Exeter. The core physician group, which has, I think, greater than 180 providers now uh, throughout the Seacoast area. And uh, a a large uh, VNA called Rockingham VNA. Okay. And so what's your role as chief physician executive? What? And I understand it was a relatively new position when you took, came and took on, took it on. What did the organization have in mind when they created the position and, and, then, and then brought you in to fill it? Yeah, I, that's a really good question because I answer this a lot. I think people mix this up with a chief medical officer position, and, and I want to say there's a lot of overlap. So first, uh, there are a lot of chief medical officers who are probably functioning as chief physician executives and, and vice versa. Uh, so the, the sort of... Um, Venn diagram is, is, is pretty overlapping. However, Exeter's case, what I know that they were looking for was a physician who could join the senior management team, who could be one, the, the voice of the physicians um, as far as uh, getting their influence and input from, a, from a, a lived experience into the senior management team, and also helping with setting the strategy and the direction of the organization by again bringing in the skills of a physician who's also had leadership experience into the organization to add to the skill set of our already highly skilled senior management team particularly given a few things one is the you know the, really the onslaught of of population health and risk contracts so having experience at in my previous organization being in risk and being in an ACO and, and, and really working on population health, that was a skill set I think they were looking for. Also, to develop physician leaders, knowing that I had my previous experience with my leadership development. And then I think, honestly, the, the overall expansion and, and changing the environment of competitors who are were entering left and right through different technologies, through different retail platforms. Uh, I think, you know, the organization was ready to begin to look at a different strategy. And I, I'm glad they thought it was important to have a physician join them for that strategic planning. That, in essence, is, is what I, I do. Uh, if I had to say one of my three focused areas, it would be to really put us on the map for quality. I want to be recognized for quality. And as you know, we've been a five-star Medicare hospital for over a year now. And that's been a, a, a great uh, improvement. That, that's been a real uh, feather in our hat. Uh, and also, we've, we've had a, a LeapFrog A score for more than a year. And so uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the quality 
goals that I had have become come to fruition. Uh, on the other side, uh, in the population health, I wanted to make sure that we were ready to join an ACO, which we uh, eventually did. We also have taken on several risk contracts, which we've been uh, successful in so far. And then I, I really wanted to begin to bring leadership development so that we could be a physician-led organization. I don't mean from a, you know an administrative physician-led organization, but that the the organization can rely on physician leadership uh, when it comes to managing teams for process improvement throughout the organization. And so building that uh, strength is uh, one of the other things I focus on every day. What would you say are the skills and competencies necessary to become a chief physician executive of an organization like Exeter Health Resources? I think that I've already mentioned a lot of the skills that we teach in our course. So emotional intelligence, understanding how to build teams, understanding your own ability to deal with conflict because conflict, you know, we oftentimes see it as something counterproductive, but when you get up to the level of senior management, a conflict is the culture in a way, and, and the conflict is productive, or at least in most teams, that we, that's what we aspire to make it. So understanding of people's priorities understanding where you have uh, overlap in those or understanding where you have differences in those and then understanding how to manage conflict, even interpersonal conflict is such an important skill because there is not a day that I go through that doesn't involve some level of conflict. And I think through the years I've learned to embrace that, but I won't, I won't admit to trying to be or, or trying to say I'm any type of expert and it's still, it's still something I'm learning uh, all the time. And I think, you know, a lot of the other things, those, those, those things you learn, I call it sort of through osmosis or through experience, those will come, you know, the, the things like, you know, learning legal and, and regulatory uh, uh, nuances and learning how regulatory bodies audit the hospital and, and how strategy uh, plays out. And there's probably a myriad of other things I can talk about, but a talented individual will will learn those uh, vicariously through the position. There's, there's just simply no playbook for this. So I would say if you go with the skills that I mentioned, you've already set yourself up for success. And especially, you need to understand that your license as a physician gives you a certain credibility that nobody else has. And you can leverage that as a leader as long as you're doing that in the context of what's best for the organization, high emotional intelligence and understanding that collaboration and conflict, they go hand in hand. And if you, I think if you, if you approach it that way, you'll be successful. So just to wrap up, so talking about what it takes to be successful as a, as a chief physician executive, but kind of going back down the ladder a bit, uh, what advice do you give most often to physicians who are making that initial transition from being a clinician? And, and, and granted, physicians are, are leaders in their, in their own right as clinicians, but from that clinician role to the organizational leadership role. So what advice do you get, find yourself giving most often to people who are maybe taking on their first medical director job or something like that? I would say, number one, find a mentor or find a coach. I think it can't be overestimated how important a 
trusted confidant who you believe is a good leader, who you want to emulate, at least you know the, the skills of leadership, that you find someone who can interact with you and give you great advice on a regular basis. Uh, just a good mentor goes such a long way in helping you in your own personal development. Number two is, I would say that treat leadership like you treat your own medical practice, that it's a uh, art and a science, and that it is, a, uh, it is something that requires lifelong learning. And it's something that requires you to embrace as you do the passion of medicine. So finding moments where you can educate yourself in all those things I mentioned, change management and team building and good leadership, there's so much out there that's very accessible. But finding the time and the commitment to that, I think is really important to develop yourself and your leadership skills. And then finally, I would say, you know, be bold. If there's something someone is asking of you, give, give a lecture somewhere or can you lead this team? That's a leadership moment. And I think you should embrace that. And a lot of us may not. They may feel, oh, I'm not ready for that. Or, geez, you know, maybe someone else is better in that position than I am. I would say embrace it because that's the time when you're going to grow. And those are the experiences that you are going to find priceless in aggregate as you begin to build your career in leadership. So those three pieces uh, I'll leave you with. I want to ask, you know me, my background is uh, I was a comptroller, CFO type for the, in the military system. You know, when I look at physicians, physicians in leadership roles, I see a half a, a half of an FTE or a full FTE, a very expensive FTE. So, so sell me on why as an organization, I should make that, you know, if I, I'm not in one now, but if I was in a leadership, why should I uh, pay for a half an FTE to, for a physician to move over to a leadership role? Cause it strikes me as that's a, that's a big cost. So, so sell me on the, on, on that investment. So uh, there's been several studies that have been out and I won't say they're scientific, but they're mainly qualitative, but nonetheless, they come from really experienced organizations in the, in the uh, leadership realm. And I think what's clear is that when an organization engages physician leadership, or sometimes it's called when an organization is physician led, they have better quality uh, indicators. They do better in, population health and risk contracts. They are more sustainable financially and they grow faster than the competition. So physician leadership is an investment that I think is hard to measure in how many positive influences it will have on your organization. I would also say that it's not just an administrative leader that you get. It's someone who comes with proprietary knowledge of the field that you're actually administering. Knowledge that's been built over the course of 12, 13, 15 years. And for a physician to make the leap from their clinical journey in life to an administrative journey, that can be somewhat of a unicorn. And to embrace that and find out how to develop that, I think is a blessing to any senior management team. So for those reasons, I think the investment in physician leadership is, is priceless in some cases. So let me, let me leave you with this. So you've been a physician since 1994, you graduated medical school in 1994. 
what's been most gratifying about your journey as a physician? The most gratifying thing I've done is, is really everything I think I've invested in physician leadership. I think there's a certain, there's a thrill that I get when I am able to impact the careers of other physicians in leadership and know that I've, I've set them on a journey on their own journey of developing themselves, developing themselves as leaders, because I know that that effect, that ripple effect will propagate throughout the organizations that they are involved in. And I think that's, um, that's inspiring to me. Um, that's self-actualizing to me. And that is the most gratifying thing that I do in my career. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Health Leader Forge. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org, for more information or to leave comments about today's podcast. Look for Health Leader Forge podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other podcast distribution sites. Thanks for being a part of the Health Leader Forge community, and we'll talk with you again soon.